and then Josh Reynolds uh, from CSF, he's on the staff there, is going to be preaching the first part of our message. Josh has such a, a compassion and uh, heart to not only preach God's word, but to lead uh, students to Jesus Christ. So, man, I am honored to be able to, to team preach with him this morning. I hope Josh has an opportunity to also introduce his folks that are here, and uh, we're just thrilled. So let's give Josh a huge hand and turn him loose. Used to working with college kids, so I get to move around a lot, and uh, I don't do tiny little stages super great. So if I start to wave my arms, you can forgive that. Um, I'm excited to be invited back. That's always a sign of uh, quasi-quality preaching whenever you come, and then they say, you can come again. And so this is my second time at the West Side. So I'm pumped to be here. Really thankful for John saying, hey, come on back. Uh, you and I, you guys have been walking through the footsteps of Jesus, and today we walk in the footsteps of prayer. And so uh, just a little, a little context for everybody. Um, when Jesus prayed... From when I, read the, when I read the Bible, when Jesus prayed, uh, he scandalized the culture that, that he lived in. When Jesus prayed, he scandalized the culture that he lived in. So, so here's what you need to know. Jesus was Jewish, and he read the Bible. And so he read the Old Testament. There are 66 books here that I'm holding up. And the word Father shows up in these 66 books 14 times. And then when Jesus busts on the scene and begins to pray here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four books, he says, Father, 60 times. So do the math on that one in your head. And what you can see is some disproportionate uh, language. Because in the Old Testament, when the Jewish people said Father, they were talking about a nationalistic identity. And when Jesus shows up, he's talking about his dad. So we've got an identity for a people or, no, 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 I'm talking about my dad. That's the context that's scandalized as Jesus now begins to pray. And he prays all the time throughout these four books. He steals away early in the morning to go up onto the mountainside to pray with his father, starting a, a day-long game of hide-and-seek for his disciples. He, he says, you disciples, jump on a boat, roll across the lake, because I'm going to stay over here tonight and pray with my father. When the disciples are finally catching on, they're like, yo, teach us how to pray, Jesus. He says, start like this, our father. Excellent. And in the moment of the most tenacious prayer you can imagine, so intimate, so stressful, that you would begin to sweat blood, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane says, father. That's the storyline that scandalized the Jewish people. But now you and I get to take that and make it personal. So as John and I were meeting with coffee uh, earlier this week, we decided to just pick one of our favorite stories where people were praying. And so we picked a guy named Peter in the book of Acts chapter 12. And so I'm going to uh, read this passage, kind of the first 12 verses with you all, and show you a little bit, then turn it back over to John. So if you want to turn there, do that. Acts chapter 12, uh, verse 1. Here it comes. All right. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. That's a PC way to say beheaded. 
When Herod saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, uh, he put Peter in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. This is our setting. Peter is a high-profile leader in a movement that we will call Christianity because it's the start of the Christianity. Um, but James is a leader, as is Peter. And so one of the things that Herod had to do was he had to control the region. See, he's King Herod, but he's not uh, in charge of it, actually, for the whole countryside, the whole nation, the whole Basically, uh, the whole of the earth is controlled by Rome at this time. They are military and political powers, and then they have kings in place to control territories. And so Herod has to please and keep the peace for Rome, who has the military and political power. The way that Herod decides to do that is by partnering with the Jewish people who have the cultural and religious power in this setting. So he does an old school snatch and grab for James. Off with his head, and the Jews are like, very nice. That was a great one, Herod. They said that because James and Peter have been preaching, and they've been doing signs and wonders, and actually thousands of people are coming into this movement that we call Christianity. When Herod sees that the Jews are like, not bad backhand, Herod, then he says, I'll grab another, and that's where Peter shows up. Okay, so keep reading. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter's kept in prison, but the church was praying earnestly to God for him. Now, I already said once, and John mentioned as well, I get to teach college students a lot. So every time within this sermon, I make them talk. So up on the screen, I'm going to throw a question up. I need you to turn to your neighbors and answer this one. If the people from your group, the, the, your small group, the, some of your best friends, um, Jeremiah, the guy sitting next to you, if one of those guys was unceremoniously beheaded or if the other was thrown in prison, what would your response be? Would it be, uh, number one, the events would bring your crew closer. It would change the way you pray. Three, we'd stand for our faith differently Four, we'd go into hiding. Five, I don't know. Could you just talk about it really quickly and then respond digitally to me? That means hold up a finger and tell me what the answer is. So take a moment, talk about it, and then we'll talk again. I'm not that dexterous. (laughs) All right, here we go. Your chance to respond digitally. One, two, three, four, five. Hold them up high so I can know. All right, good. Ones, twos, threes, fours, and fives. Lots of twos. Excellent. Fours. Got a five in the way back. Thank you very much. Got a one over here. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for that. Here's the part that we get to capture uh, that I get to help preach on. <clears throat> did you see what the church did? Not only did they gather to pray, but they gathered to pray all night. They gathered to pray all night because Peter is a repeat offender. See how I did that? Acts 4, Acts 5, Acts 12. Peter's been in prison. And so the church is familiar, unfortunately, with Pete and his repeat offenses, which is preaching the gospel. And whenever he preaches and gets thrown into prison, Acts chapter 4, verse 30, we get the written line, the closing line of their prayer. They're praying to God and they're saying, God, do this thing, signs, wonders, miracles, but do them from the place of the powerful name of Jesus. 
Do those things through the power source, which is the name of Jesus. Um, This is the whole point of my sermon, that there is power in the name of Jesus. See, we've come through the Christmas season, and we know that, that Christ is God here on earth. He's incarnate. We can touch this guy, right? But what we sometimes miss is that not only is Jesus God in flesh, which will stretch your brain, but he is God's action on earth. Jesus is God's action on earth. That's why we get things like his name bringing signs, healings, wonders. But if you would make a note and go read on your own the ending of Acts chapter 4, so start in 30, or you can walk backwards and see the whole prayer. When you get to Acts 32 and 33, after they're done praying, amen, then they stand up and they act as the church. So Acts 32 and 33, I'll say it. I didn't write them out for y'all. But they, they said, with one heart, with one mind, there was no one selfish sharing everything. They were the church. And the closing line of them acting as the church was they continued to testify to the resurrection power of Jesus. Guys, there is power in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 12 Continue on with our story. We left it in verse five. Peter's kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Remember, four squads of four soldiers each. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Oh, there was a high-pitched note. That's the message version. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. The angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Um, John did not give me enough time to tell you about when angels strike. When angels strike in Genesis, you walk with a limp for the rest of your life, progress through the Bible by revelation. When angels strike, their robes are dipped in blood. And so we don't have space for that right now. But what we do get to know is two action steps, that God is active with his people and his world. God is active with his people in his world. The his people part is easy because Peter's job is to be preaching the story, to be leading the church, to testify to the power of Christ. Here's the thing that whenever we read that section, sometimes we just blow over and, and people's minds are, should be exploding, which is the chains fell off his wrist. God is active with his world. So I come from a Christian worldview, which means I believe that God made heavens and earth. Fairly simple statement. So what I mean by that, or what I can apply from that, is that the creator, if God created the heavens and the earth, he is not captive by his creation. Think it through. If God has created the heavens and the earth, everything in it, then the idea of the chains falling off should not be a stumbling block for some of us when we are learning and advancing a Christian worldview. The second thing that's really cool here is that Peter is actively involved with God in his world. We are actively involved with God in his world. 
world. And so we can pray for things like signs and wonders. The church is doing that all night. They're gathering for, for release, for something supernatural to happen. And it does. The angel strikes up and Peter's not dead. It's, an, it's a miracle. But there's a third element here that I don't want you to miss. And that is what the angel says to Peter. Get up. Guys, this is an application point for your lives potentially. There comes a place where the church is praying together. There comes a place where God is active. And there comes a place where you have to put on your shoes and move. That's the closing line for the angel. We don't hear the angel talk again. He says, follow me. It's a supernatural work to be called to follow Christ. But it's a step that you get to take. Big close here. Acts chapter 12, 9 through 12. Peter follows the angel out of prison. <laughs> but he had no idea what the angel was doing, was really happening. Peter thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards. They came to the iron gate leading to the city. Your brain doesn't explode quite so quickly, does it? Because the creator's not captive to an iron gate. It opens. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Peter comes to himself and says, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, while the people where many people had gathered and were praying. Guys, I close it here. Peter's next move after the supernatural, after literally putting on his shoes, was to go where? To his church. He went to the place where his people were calling on the powerful name of Christ. And he made a beeline straight towards it. The story gets better, but that's John's to tell. I'll wrap it up this way. Whenever I was a kid growing up, last time I was here, uh, I preached about, uh, I told you a story, potentially some of you remember it, of my grandfather, Carson, and uh, told you about that he was a pastor in the Church of God, and there was this old-timey singer-songwriter named Bill Gaither, and Bill Gaither has this song, uh, and the line is, there's something about the name Jesus, so we made a, a short video about it. I just got one word, everything. Jesus Christ means salvation. Jesus means our Christ and Savior. Jesus to me means peace. Peace, forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. The name of Jesus means love. To me, Jesus means love. Jesus uh, to me is a friend. Jesus means to me uh, love. Jesus is hope. Love and forgiveness. Love means grace, means eternal life with him in heaven. The name of Jesus means faith to me. Peace, um, a place that you can come as you are. Uh, to me, the name of Jesus uh, just represents someone who's always there, the one unconditional in my life. A firm foundation when things are tough. A safe refuge and somebody who will never leave you. I'm like, Josh, I'd love to be down on the floor, but I'm like that little king from Shrek. That 5'8 catches up with me. 
So I'll stand up here. It's a suffering thing. Uh, I want to pick this story back up because uh, there are people that actually read the Bible and they don't see humor in it at times. And I got to tell you, this just cracks me up every time. So we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and explained, it's Peter at the door. Now, just pause there and think about that. You've been praying all night. He knocks at the door. She freaks out and just leaves him standing there. That's not a friend. Okay. Then he gets better. You're out of your mind, they told her. Now, this is what's interesting. Isn't that what they prayed for? Isn't that how God always shows up? You think you've got the answer, but God's always got an answer. I guarantee bigger than your answer. And then she said, she kept on insisting that it was him. It was not an angel. And Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. Yeah, no joke. Peter motioned with his hand, this is my favorite part, to them to be quiet and describe how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Isn't that a great scene? Now they're freaking out and he's like, seriously, okay, I'm in jail, I'm out of jail, throw the party inside, you know. And then can you imagine as they began sharing what had happened? Because he didn't know, they've been praying fervently for you all night. They didn't know an angel showed up. Imagine as they started comparing notes and they realized, man, God is moving in amazing ways. He's still moving. And God will move in an amazing way in your life. He'll move in an amazing way in our lives when we can remember this one thing that I love about the early church. The early church, when they approached prayer, Prayer was not a last resort, it was the first response. It wasn't a last resort, it was a first response. Next week, there's a little football game, maybe you've heard of it, called the Super Bowl. And um, interesting, a worthless statistic, my wife says, I love this, there has never been an overtime in the Super Bowl. That means nothing, it has nothing to do with the sermon, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. <laughs> but if you've ever watched big football games... You'll hear him talk about a, a famous play that's designed, and it's called a Hail Mary. How many know what that is? Raise your hand. Good. You're all sinners. Okay, so a Hail Mary is you launch a last-second pass, and like there's all, you know, 20 players now have got in the end zone. They're all waiting. Some of the crowds come in. It bounces up in the air, and maybe, if it's a miracle, the team will pull it in for a touchdown. Well, they call it a Hail Mary because they're like, it's a miracle if it works. We should never treat prayer like a Hail Mary. God, I'm just going to throw this prayer up to you. But it's going to take a miracle, but let's see what you can do. No, that's not the Lord that we serve. And when they prayed all night, they knew that God could do the miraculous. God can do the miraculous today. Matter of fact, if you think about prayer and why they surrendered to pray all night, it's because they had followed Peter. And what did they know about Peter? They know that Peter was so connected to Jesus and everything that Jesus did, he was convicted what prayer did and what prayer meant. I love what Josh said about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our what? Our daily bread. It's the only time that the apostles ever asked Jesus to teach them anything. Now, what would you ask Jesus to teach you? 
Now, I personally, being as spiritual as I am, I think I'd, I'd go for that walking on water. Like, can you teach me how to walk on water? That's a pretty good party trick. Think of all the things that you would ask Jesus to do. Raise someone from the dead, the miracles. But of all the things, they had observed his life to the point they said, we want to know how you pray. Because we can tell prayer is this way that you connect with the Heavenly Father, and we want to connect in that way. And then they prayed all night. I'll tell you, I'm convicted when I think about that. When's the last time I thought in my life that I've actually prayed all night? When's the last time you've prayed all night? Maybe we stressed all night or worried all night. Maybe we stayed up to 2 o'clock watching movies or watching ball games. But when's the last time you surrendered that time to just pray, to just communicate, to just talk with God? What I love about the Lord's Prayer, if you notice, Jesus doesn't talk about the position that we pray in or the place that we pray in. Now, here's what I mean by place. What's sad is I really believe many people think the only time you should pray is when you're in church. Think about that. Think how ridiculous that is, that the only place you pray is in church. No, you pray all the time because you're communicating with God. And then there's the position of prayer. Now, what do I mean by position? Well, you can kneel. There's so many different positions that people talk about in prayer. I have a couple here. One is called the load me up position. I don't know what that is. Uh, that's, this is praise and prayer. But the load me up is, do you remember when you were a kid and you always wanted to carry stuff in and your parents would go, put your arms out. And it was like, you go like this. And it's like, load me up. So maybe prayer for you is like a slow, load me up. Or for me, I, I found myself doing this in worship more and more. It's what I call the one-armed drawbridge prayer stance. And that is because I grew up in a very traditional church of Christ, I just can't get my hand up over my head. So hand in pocket, Oh, Lord, I, sp I feel the Spirit moving. Slow drawbridge. Don't go too high. I don't know. And, you know, you, know, and you, know what? you know who's the worst about that? Men. Men are terrible. They'll be standing around me like, drawbridge, too high, bring it down. You know, they bring it back down. Now, I don't know. You know, other people, it's the migraine prayer. Oh, Lord. You know, we all have different prayer positions. Now, here's the thing. The... The position as I grew up that I realized was the silliest of all, when I was a kid, I used to think you could only pray by closing your eyes. Did you ever wonder that when you were a kid? So I know you have a hard time believing this. I was a little obnoxious when I was a kid, and I was sitting here in church, and the song leader's voice would always lower when he'd say, and now let us pray. You know, I'd always go into that. Everybody would bow. So while I'm bowing, I'm like, what's up with this closing her eyes? I think something's going on in here. So I open my eyes. I'm looking all around, and all of a sudden there's a deacon named Jim Simpson, and he had his eyes open. He looked at me like, you know, he gave me that. Oh, it just freaked me out. I got home, and I said, hey, Mom, Jim Simpson, the deacon, he prays with his eyes open. She said, how did you know? I said, well, let's eat. I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> Don't we all get into that sometimes? Like, Lord, I, I don't. I got I to gotta lift you up by closing my eyes. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times, absolutely, I think it's good to close your eyes and say, God, I got to block the world out. Don't, please, I'm not, making, I'm not making fun of that. What I'm saying is, I think sometimes God is saying, open your eyes. Look around. When Jesus looked out over Jerusalem, it said he's just moved with compassion. Why? Because he opened his eyes. 
One of the greatest blessings, I'll be honest, that God put on my heart when I was a kid, around fourth grade, I started walking to school every day. And here's what's weird. I loved walking to school. I mean, it was about a mile away. I know you hear your grandparents say that, you know. It was a mile away. I had no shoes. You know, I ran around with the orphan kid. You know, I know I can, but it wasn't like that at all. I actually loved walking and loved walking home. And I would talk. I would, I'd actually talk on the way home. Like me and God would have these conversations. Neighbors thought it was weird, but I didn't care. It just was a, a time. And you know when I get really depressed in the winter, honestly, it's when I can't get out and walk. Really, if I go about two, three days and I can't get outside, I really get kind of bummed out because it's just, it's this way of connecting with God. It's a way of just opening your eyes. And if you open your eyes and let God start moving, amazing things can happen. Genesis 5.24, I love this. It's a story about an Old Testament hero named Enoch, and it said he walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more. It's just like he went for a long walk, and God's like, hey, Enoch, want to go home? Well, Lord, it's a long way home. No, no, I mean, today, you want to go home. And God just said, come on home. That's the way I want to go. I want to be walking. I want to be walking faithfully with the Lord. And I want you to know that Prayer means everything here on the west side. So I want to just share some of the things that are going on with our prayer ministry and what prayer means. Number one is, we've talked about this, is we're building right now two seven-foot uh, prayer benches that will be up front. And we just want those benches to be there. So maybe before service or after service or through the service, you just sense a call to connect with God and you just want to kneel down and pray, we just want those available for you. Or maybe you're going through a really hard time, and you're in a life group, let's say, and you come forward to pray. You know what I would love to see? Entire life groups, friendships, forming around one another, praying for one another during the service. Because we want prayer to be a very important part of our service. Second of all, we want prayer to be a part of every day. And here's what we want to do to expand our prayer ministry. We want you to start signing up, and we'll have a sign-up in the back, for what we call prayer warriors. That is, you just start praying for all the, the things that are going on here on the west side at home. Now, you know what the age limit is to pray at home? There is no age limit. There is no gender-specific limit. All men, all women, all children can pray. How many of you love to hear a child pray? Why? Because it's so beautiful, and it's pure. And so we want to give all ages that opportunity, and we'll send you prayer requests. So if you are willing just to pray at home, please be a part of that remarkable ministry. And then a ministry that I, I can't wait to see up and running, we're going to launch this in April, Jim Graham's working with, it's called Street Samaritans. And what Street Samaritans is, is we're going to have a group of people. Right now we have at least five churches and Wheeler Rescue Mission signed on board to do this. We're going to meet at the poorhouse, and half of the group is going to just pray over those up and down Kirkwood. And the other half is going to split up in teams, and they're going to be prayer walking and helping and blessing Kirkwood any way they can. I mean, picking up beer bottles, or if somebody's so drunk they can't find a taxi or an Uber, they get them in and get them home to do whatever it can to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ when nobody else in the church honestly wants to be there from 10 to 2 in the morning. Then we want to be right there in the middle of it because I believe God's called us as prayer warriors not to just pray in the church, 
but to pray for our friends and our neighbors and those that don't know Jesus Christ. I can't wait to see what God is going to do through prayer here on the west side. Because once we start praying fervently, God can do things here that we can't even imagine. Years ago, I read this quote, and it has just stuck with me. It's uh, Perry Noble, and he said, if you can explain it, then God wasn't in it. I agree with that 100%. Too many times, if we're not careful, we try to put everything on paper, and we try to explain it without just stepping back and saying, you know what, here's the deal. God's in it. I had this conversation with somebody this week. They said, now, John, the West Side, you're going to services. Can you share the strategy? I'm like, I have no idea. We serve biscuits and gravy. We love people. That's about it. I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to write a book about what's going on here because I can't explain it. All I know is God just keeps showing up. We had a, a baptism this morning, a father and a daughter. And I'm just saying, every time he just gets me, God is moving if we would just keep remaining on our knees and surrendering to Jesus Christ. I got to be honest. Um, when I was in Bible college, I had such a, a I'm going to just say, pathetic view of the world. Because when I was in college, we all went to the same church. We all grew up in Church of Christ, Christian churches. So therefore, we were the only church. Now, I don't know if you ever grew up with uh, that vibe that your church is the only church, but it, we wouldn't say it, but we believed it. And so when we left Bible college, uh, it was interesting how, you know, we all just went different directions, different churches. And then as the years went by, we started gathering and sharing the churches that we landed in. Well, God is so good because I landed at 25 years old at Sherwood Oaks. And I started talking to my buddies and I found out Sherwood Oaks was not like the churches that many of them were in because the churches that they were in 90% of that group that they were leading, they were all Christian church. In other words, they all grew up in the Christian church. That's all they knew. And about 10% were folks who came from other groups. Guess what? At Sherwood Oaks, flip it. 90% come from all these other backgrounds. And you know what I love about that? It forces you to talk about the Bible. It talks and it forces you to talk about Jesus Christ. You don't talk about denominate. You can't. It's not a, I'm right, you're right. No, you're wrong. No, it's, let's get into the word of God, and let's see what Jesus has to say about that. And I'll be honest, I love that. I absolutely love that. But my guess is, many of you came from other churches other than the Christian church. So, on the count of three, I want you to yell out what church you grew up in. Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, it doesn't matter, just on the count of three, I'd like to hear that. On the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Oh boy, Presbyterian, Methodist came to you. Okay, yeah, first service, a lot of Methodists. Okay, so here's what's awesome. On the count of three, I just want you to yell, Jesus. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Jesus! Sweet. I don't know who that kid was, but he's going to heaven. Okay. Now, I want you to think about what God hears when we lift up our prayers. I don't think God goes, ah, Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecost, Methodist. No. What's he do? That's my kids. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. There's just something about that name. It should break our hearts. 
It should make our dreams come alive. It should move us like nothing else. There's something miraculous and powerful about the name of Jesus.